Hey guys, and welcome back to another week of What the Fuck's Up podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Kelly. If this is your first time tuning in, I know I have some new listeners, which I'm so excited about. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you guys so much. Now it's been a week, I guess, since I released the episode with Lindsay Metzler, who's a star. She was on Good Morning America this week. I was supposed to be with her on it, but they didn't need me, but that's okay. Maybe someday soon. Anyways, I just wanted to say up top, welcome to new listeners. I'm always trying to tell you guys to tell friends, to rate, review, and subscribe, because that's how I keep doing this, which I would love to do. Tell a friend, you know, just anything you can do to get the podcast out there, do it. If you love it, please DM me. I love getting feedback or email me at WTFSUPPod at gmail.com or DM me at the uh, podcast Instagram. That would be awesome. Or at my personal, honestly, I don't care. I'll respond to as many as I can. But right now I definitely have time to respond to nice feedback and could use it because on that note, wow, that was a great transition. Mercury is in motherfucking retrograde. I just recorded with the iconic Audrey Peters, who's now one of my favorite people in the world. We did a great episode, all was well. I had a stressful day beforehand, and yesterday I had a stressful day, but like I was chilling out. I was starting to drink a little bit towards the end of the episode, and I'm drinking now. Um, Honestly, not saying that that's a good way to relieve your stress necessarily, but sometimes you need it. Anyways, I finished recording with Audrey and I got this email from what appears to be Instagram. Thank God I have Caroline fucking Furon, who's one of my best friends and my former college roommate. Shout out Caroline to have helped me with this. But basically like I clicked a hacker link that almost stole all my information and either A, used it against me or B, made me pay for it. So a little stressed out right now, but I'll live. It's fine. There's a lot of good stuff going on too. So I'll give those updates and fuck the hackers in the world. Y'all are thieves and fuckers. I hope they're listening. (laughs) Anyways, good stuff. Let's focus on that positive energy and bring more of it and get Mercury the fuck out of retrograde. I hired a new intern this week. She was there while I recorded with Audrey, which was so fun. Her name is Emma Levin. I actually want to start recording intros to the episodes with her or my other two interns who are amazing too, Tara and Ali, who's the audio editor. Uh, shout out to them too. But Emma, um, you know, she's around. She just graduated. Um, she just got hired officially on Monday and is now Wednesday. And she's been so great. We've hung out the past two days. She came to watch me record with Audrey and help a little bit with setup. But our story is pretty crazy. So basically, I was like, I need help. I'm spending so many hours on this. I'm not really getting paid from it. I need to start getting sponsors. I need to, you know, make this my livelihood. So I was like, I'm going to hire three interns. And the main one I was missing um, up until this week was Emma, who's marketing. So now I thankfully have someone, good vibes, Emma, to help me with marketing. But it was so crazy because basically what happened with Emma was I was on Indeed hiring, you know, my interns slash eventual employees who are going to be great. I feel like we're a really great team. We're all females right now. And it's weird being a boss, but also like fun because I like don't care about hours as long as you get shit done. So that's been cool. And we're going to dinner tomorrow. So that'll be good. Basically, Emma and I are like 
FaceTiming or Zooming or whatever right after for her interview, right after I posted the Lindsay episode and I'm exhausted. Like I hardly slept, not because I was working last minute like I am on this this episode. Sorry, Carola, you're amazing. But you know, the intro and stuff, I just waited till the last minute and that's my God-given right. Anyway, so I had posted the Lindsay episode Hardly slept. It was like Christmas fucking morning for me because I was so excited. It was such a good episode. Lindsay's so iconic. I posted, I like literally stayed up till three doing nothing. I was just like writing the Instagram, like just so excited, so happy. Um, I really loved that episode. Go back and listen after if you haven't already. So basically I like am interviewing Emma and I'm like half awake and I look like shit. So we're talking and then all of a sudden we realized that she's one of my, like, we weren't super close because he was younger, but like an amazing person who I went to college with, little sister, David. Also grew up in New York City. David's great. David had been DMing me that day that I was interviewing her, telling me like, congrats on your podcast. So sweet, so supportive. I was like, this is insane. Like the world is so small and like the universe, even though it also gives you hackers sometimes, gives you really great things. So even though it's been a lot of work on the podcast in general, hiring people, creating an LLC so that this is a full-fledged company, it's also been so exciting. I already have like 700 listens on the Lindsay episode. I'm ranking like for podcasts. It's a dream, honestly. I'm overwhelmed right now, but it's net been really amazing. And I'm so thankful to all of you listening. Like I can't even say it enough because I love doing this. Like I do it because I love it. I love making jokes. I love making people laugh during hard times and <laughs> Mercury and retrograde. Should we take shots every time I say that? Yeah, but genuinely from the bottom of my heart, thank you to all of you. And today we have Carola on because I know her and her little sister, Ellie. Shout out, Ellie. So Carola just had a baby. She's an iconic author. She wrote Tell Me Lies. Go buy it on Amazon right now if you haven't read it already. It's a book about a toxic... Audrey just taught me this term. I didn't know it before. I always said, like, your man who's not your man. She called it a situationship. Iconic. So smart. Anyways, it's about, like, this toxic on-again, off-again situationship. And it's... She's very careful to say it's based around some experiences she had, but it's very much fiction. But it recently got optioned by Hulu, which basically means they're probably going to make it into some kind of series or movie. And Emma Roberts, who's also pregnant currently, did she have the baby? I don't know. Her production company is streamlining it. So super excited for her. Carola, she you know, deserves all of it as someone who's been through some shit, but has come out on the other side, is in her 30s, is a happy new mom, uh, a beautiful, beautiful, wonderful person. So I'm really excited. And yeah, let me know what you think and rate, review, subscribe, and let's get into some of our sponsors. Okay, guys. So before we get into the episode, I'm here to tell you about one of my first sponsors. I'm so excited 
Today, I'm talking to you about former guest Sally Kim's company, which is called Crush Tonic. So Crush Tonic is incredible. Ever since Sally came on, I've been using it myself, and it's just like incredible. If you don't know what it is, um, you should, after you listen to this episode, go back and listen to Sally's episode. But basically, Crush Tonic is a collagen company. It's ingestible collagen, meaning you can eat it or drink it in this case. So basically, she makes these amazing little powder packs. There are different flavors. They just came out with a coffee flavor, which is so dope. Highly recommend it. But there are a bunch of different flavors, different containers it comes in. It's so aesthetically pleasing the way Sally has created it. I'm so proud of her. And in addition to that, I'm not sure about all the flavors, but the original flavor I know for sure also has biotin in it, which is good for your hair if you don't know that, and then probiotics in it, which is amazing for your stomach and your digestive system. So go on her website, which I will link in the episode description and get 15% off all products today from Crush Tonic for everyone. It's active now. The code is WTFSUP, so W-T-F-S-U-P, and that will also be in the episode description. And now enjoy your episode. Hello, everyone. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by Carola Lovering, who is an author, wife, mother, and the sister to my wonderful friend, Ellie. Carola grew up in Bedford, New York, where she attended the Taft School for high school, then went on to study English at Colorado College. According to her, she always knew she loved reading, but didn't know she wanted to be a writer until her iconic book, which I've like literally 10 copies of, thank you, Caroline Walters, Tell Me Lies, um, just sort of spilled out of her. Her career path in her 20s was a bit jagged and unclear, making her a perfect guest for this podcast, obviously, until she wrote Tell Me Lies and got her first book deal at 28 years old. The novel was then published when she was 29 in the summer of 2018. Congrats, mazel, belated. So right now, Carola lives in Darien, Connecticut with her husband, as well as her newborn baby boy. Congrats again. And she has had some major successes in the past few months, including giving birth to her first child, Emma Roberts adapting Tell Me Lies into a Hulu series, and finishing up her second novel, Too Good to Be True, which comes out in March of 2021. So welcome, Carola, and thank you so much. I'm so excited for you. I feel like you're really just like, I mean, this book was fucking golden from the second it hit the bookstores, but like, I feel like you're just on this like up and up wave and like, I feel just so happy for you. Thank you, Caitlin, and thank you for having me. And yeah, I I definitely like can't, I mean, I know 2020 has been such a weird year but I really can't complain like personally I feel like I've, it's been a pretty great year so <laughs> we yeah. love to hear it. no <laughs> I've I've literally joked about the same thing on the podcast because well to be fair the first part of 2020 for me like when the um pandemic so to speak you know that little global pandemic we have going when that oh that yeah that thing yes (laughs) um but when that started out don't get me wrong like I was in the worst stage one of the worst points in my life I 
was depressed. I was changing my anxiety medications. I, you know, I just really wasn't in a good place. I'd had a friend breakup, which are like literally the worst things ever. Uh, and then the worst, the worst. And then I was suddenly like quarantined alone on top of all of this because my roommate left to be with her family and I was far from my family. I didn't know if I wanted to move back. So it was a shit show. Needless to say, I had my quarter life crisis and then decided in the midst of this that I wanted to start a podcast. Great. I mean, <laughs> it's kind of crazy, but like, I guess like now that, you know, my meds are good, my mental health's good, everything's good. Thank God. Bless up. Like I have had a similar experience uh, post April, I would say, um, where I have actually had a lot of like really exciting things happen for me. So I totally feel for you in that regard where it's like, yes, 2020 has been so horrible for the world and we all joke about it. But like in some personal regards, it's been exciting, which is, you know, we don't have to apologize for that. No, absolutely. It's definitely, yeah, it's a year that I will, you know, definitely look back on as like a weird, hard year in a lot of ways, but a lot of silver linings too. So mm-hmm. I mean, having your first child. Yeah, that was really... that was really the biggest one. <laughs> you can't forget that. Oh yeah. And his name is James. James, right? yep. He is And then what's your husband's name? Rob. 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 So yeah, James is is my father-in-law. So we named him after Rob's dad because Rob is named after his grandfather. Rob's named after his dad's dad. So it's a family name and it's... It's a nice white family. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? Sorry, I couldn't help it. I I mean, my parents have done the same thing. I'm white as it gets, like Irish Catholic. Although that's a little like edgy white. So maybe that's where I get it from. You know, we have to eat potatoes for a while so my ancestors got a little bit of grip but hardly my we have Irish Catholic ancestors too so on my mom's side my mom actually this is a crazy story I don't know if I should be telling you on the podcast but that makes me want to tell it on the podcast because that's my personality which is that my mom so we had this like very New York City thing so we had Sunday school on Tuesday in my house, in this room, I'm currently in, lol, I feel the vibes coming back to me. (laughs) It was like five New York City private school girls, and then this kind of wacky teacher who was like, I don't know, she was like a Sunday school teacher hired by the church we went to on the Upper East Side. And she basically would come here once a week, and like, we'd eat snacks that my mom provided, and then she'd talk about like, we'd defend why we thought Harry Potter was a fine book, and she would say why like, the Lord like would condemn it and like it's a satanic read and like something oh my like that. God. It was very weird. But basically my mom didn't really understand this was going on until one day she comes in to give us snacks. She might kill me for telling this. She's not here right now, so it's fine. She comes in to give us snacks. I think it's one of the coolest things she's ever done. And basically the teacher was saying that we should never use protection for sex because that meant that we didn't want to have children and that meant that we were like basically like intercepting with God's will for us. And my mom pulls me out of the room and she goes, we are done with this. You always use contraception. Like, don't listen to this woman. We are done. I'm done. This is not happening in her house. And I never confirmed. So that's crazy. That woman sounds like super Catholic. Yeah, she was a little cry-cry. Yeah, it was really funny. That's hilarious. Good for your mom. It's funny because I think she has this 
push and pull where it's like she has this connection to her, you know, mother and her family and wants to like please them and kind of indulge that upbringing. But at the same time, she's way too liberal for that shit. So once she heard that, she was like, oh, fuck this. <laughs> she's like, we're done here. Yeah, she's um, like, no so, more of this. Yeah, so I wouldn't really consider myself Catholic. I would consider myself a um, spiritual person. That's where I'm at. Yeah, And like I a fake that. Jew at times. Because I'm like, <laughs> I've, I've, I've like Jewy energy. But that's a that's another point. That's hilarious. I've never heard that expression before. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I'm from the Upper West Side. And I say like, yeah. Oy and call myself a goy. So, you know, like, I feel like I was meant to be a Jew, but then somehow ended up in this body. But I'll take it, you know. <laughs> Maybe I'll find a nice Jewish boy and convert. Like Charlotte yeah, and Sex in the City, like Charlotte right? Charlotte Sex in the City. I mean, that was, that was awesome. That was iconic. You give me such Charlotte energy, by the way. Like, such Charlotte vibes. So many people have said that. It's so real. Guys, I know you can't see her, but I'm going to put up a video, which we discussed beforehand. I think she's okay with it. But she literally looks like Charlotte right now, especially in Sex and the City. And she doesn't look like she just had a kid. Wait, so how recently did you give birth? Because you really look... Well... I'm sitting down wearing a sweater, but <laughs> I, <laughs> your face. I gave birth a little over six weeks ago. So my son turned six weeks on Monday, which I can't believe. I honestly like don't even know. He was born August 10th. And like, I just don't even know where the month of August went. It was like such a blur. And then September has like flown by somehow. People really do say with babies and it, it is true, like, I think the expression is the days are long, but the years are fast, something like that. And I, I definitely can see that. Like, I just feel like time, even though some moments will seem slow, like getting up in the middle of the night and like never sleeping in all yeah. time seems like it's going really fast. Totally. I mean, it's crazy. I can only imagine. I, I really can't if we're being <laughs> honest, but but I feel like 2020 is kind of like that. Like people have joked that it's like the longest and shortest year ever because it's like in some ways time stopped at March. But then at the same time, what it's like already almost winter again. Like yeah. I feel like I just celebrated my birthday, which is in December. And now it's like coming up. I'm like, what? Really? That's crazy. Yeah. It's really weird. Because yeah. I'm like, what? I don't know what happened to the summer, you know? I know the summer just flew by. We got a little gypped on summer. I have to It feels say. like it didn't really happen, honestly. I which know. Is... Well, also for you, because you were like fully pregnant and giving Oh, so. I was so pregnant. Yeah, it was so hot. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't go anywhere. I was like, I was waiting for, you know, my, the baby to come. And then he was 10 days late. So it just like dragged yeah. on forever. Um, yeah. I have to say, it's so funny. Just like, thinking about that looking back. So I know Carola's little sister, Ellie, who's great. She's like my age. And then I also know Caroline Walters really well, who's one of Ellie's best friends from college. I was texting Caroline because I was thinking people have on. I was thinking like, oh, Carola would be so good. I've never had an author on, right? So I was like, that could be so fun. So I texted her. I was like, I feel like she might be into it. Like, what do you think? And she's like, girl, I'm sure she'd be into it, but she's about to burst. Like, you gotta <laughs> give her a little time. <laughs> She's like on the precipice of having this baby. Like, yeah. give her like a month. <laughs> Wait till she announces it. So literally, my message, she was like, maybe a week after you had your kid. I was like, congrats, <laughs> by the way, if you want to come on. Oh, my god. It was so funny, though, because I was going to ask you that. And she was like, don't. I was like, oh, word. That's so true. I forgot about that. 
Okay, so just to start off, I mean, we've obviously given a little bit of background on you, and I gave my little intro, which you basically wrote for me. These are the perks of having a writer on people. They'll just write their intro for you. Oh, I didn't even realize I wrote it for you. You did. I inserted maybe a line and made it from my POV, but otherwise it was all you. But basically, if you could just give a little bit of a summary on yourself and like kind of how you got into writing, give a little bit of a background on Tell Me Lies. Like I always feel like it's best from you know from your perspective since it is your life. You know, you're gonna tell us. So Yeah, I would just love to hear a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So I was an English major and I didn't really do a ton of creative writing when I was in college. I kind of became like more interested in it right at the end of college. But by that point, it was too late to like change my concentration Mm -hmm. to creative writing. So I just majored in English and then um, after graduation started like doing a little bit more creative writing. But like I never tried to write you know, anything super long until I started Tell Me Lies. And I didn't even realize at the time that I was writing a book. What happened was I had had this experience in college with a toxic relationship and it really affected me. Shout out. Love those. (laughs) Love those. Like a good amount of those. Love them. Basically, I had been through this toxic relationship in college that just like really affected me and like I had so many feelings and thoughts about it afterwards and I came to one of my best friends about it is she one of the girls who's in the book she, like one of the college friends all the characters and the, the friends in the book are kind of like combinations of my friends mm-hmm. there's not really like one I mean they're kind of are like Pippa and Jackie are kind of like more based off of two of my real friends can I say something really embarrassing yes of course okay don't judge me this is so embarrassing but okay so when I read the book guys this book I really can't hype it enough not only are you like a terrific writer like the fact that this was your first book is mind-blowing it also wasn't it like New York Times bestseller like it was not no it was not a New York Times bestseller I wish okay but it was it got a lot of press it might as well have been. In my book, That's it was. really nice of you. It definitely <laughs> wasn't, but, you know, maybe one day. Maybe if the show if the show gets made, we'll see. <laughs> oh, when the show gets made, it will be. So I'm not worried. I mean, that's in the future. We're just manifesting that is what's happening right now. But basically, it was such an amazingly well-written book. And I was obsessed with it. Caroline was obsessed with it, my roommate. We literally went to your book signing. We got like maybe 20 copies, especially Caroline, fucking <laughs> psychopath supportive person. Got so like cute. 20 copies signed. She got one for Reese Witherspoon because she was certain Reese was going to pick it up. Like so funny. <laughs> there was this point where I like finished the book and I was like, I want more. I was like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm not done. <laughs> so I literally, because we were following each other on Instagram at this point from the book signing, went down a rabbit hole of your Instagram and was like, I must find the guy. I couldn't find him. I must find all the the girls who, like, who's each girl? Who's her blonde friend? I want to play her in the movie. Like, who's Pippa? Pippa's the blonde one, right? No, Pippa is dark oh, fuck, hair. No, Pippa's blonde, the dark, dark hair. haired, really pretty one. Yeah. Who's the blonde one? The blonde one is Jackie. Who's Jackie? I need to find Jackie. Do I look like Jackie? <laughs> Anyways, it was so funny, but continue. Well, so maybe you can play Jackie in the show. I mean, who knows? Yes, I have no control over the casting, but. <laughs> but we'll pretend you do, and we'll just, I'll shoot my shot. 
Yeah. I'll just like, you give me their number. I'm all about sliding into people's DMs these days. Like that's how I get half my guests. It's really funny. Yeah. No shame. Just go for it. No shame. So you had this crazy toxic relationship. You were talking to your friends about it. Yes. Then this was after it was over. So like, you know, with toxic relationships, they kind of like don't really have a clear ending for so long until they like finally do. Until you do therapy, literally. <laughs> like, right, until you do therapy. Yeah. Figure out why you got into such a fucked up situation. Yeah, um, because of your childhood trauma. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> literally. Um, it's crazy. So I, this was like after, you know, mm-hmm. it was, it was like, I guess I, at the time, maybe I thought it like, there was a chance it wasn't over, but it was like definitely over. And I was- Was this the wedding? No. So like the book is not- True. It, it's okay. loosely based on this, yeah. like um, the emotional experience of the relationship. Totally. The things that happen in the book are mm-hmm. not, are not true. Like it's okay, fiction. Cool, cool. So Good I always like to emphasize that because yeah. people like, a lot of people are like, okay, did this really happen? And I'm like, like me. It's, <laughs> yeah. It feels very real to a lot of girls who have been through the same thing. And like, what I tell people is that it's, it's emotionally true. You know, I was writing mm-hmm. about like the relationship that Tommy lies between Lucy and Steven is like emotionally real for me. Like I've mm-hmm. been through a relationship that feels like that. Totally. Um, but the, like there was actually no wedding scene or anything like that. But yeah, it's just like to bring those points out basically. It's to like, yeah, to fictionalize that experience in a way that's not necessarily your experience, but it like illustrates the point. Exactly. And you did an amazing job. I think the fact that people think that it's all true, like, really just speaks to your abilities and talents as a writer, honestly, because like, it really does feel real. And like, my new little intern was saying this, who's very excited about this interview and loves this book. She was saying like, she told all her friends about it, which I did at the time too, because she was like, everyone can relate to this. It might not be the same exact guy or relationship or like level of it. But I feel like especially with like young immature guys, not every girl, but so many girls experience this to some extent and people like it doesn't have to be gendered, but girls in particular, I'd say so many. And honestly, like I didn't really realize until Mm -hmm. after I published the book, like I knew other people had been through similar situations, but after I published the book, like I get so many DMs and emails from readers who are like, they're like, oh my God, I literally felt like I was reading about my life in your book. Like that's how I felt, honestly. Really? I mean, yeah. I, obviously I don't want people to go through that experience because yeah. it sucks, but like, it is really nice to know that so many readers are connecting with it and that like, it's just a very common experience for women to encounter a guy like that totally it's humanizing and like for me I mean I had on again off again relationships but wasn't really that so for people who haven't read it I mean go buy it like what are you doing but also it's about to be a Hulu series that Emma Roberts is producing apparently she's a producer she's a producer she (laughs) so Bellatrist is her company and she and Kara who's her like they run Bellatrix together, um, are, they're like the producers, you know, I'm not totally sure how it works because yeah, you're like, just like, know. I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> I think, yeah. I'm probably saying that wrong, but, um, they are like, they have a first look deal with Hulu. 
That's amazing. Yeah. So like fingers crossed that it gets made. It's not definite, but um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm feeling hopeful about the show I, getting made. So I feel hopeful too. And I, you know, at this point it's out there. So it's like, even if maybe Hulu doesn't make it, like somebody has to make this into a movie. Like it's too important not to be made into a movie. And like, I think especially in our age range, honestly, like girls from their teens to their thirties are going to like live for this shit. You know, it's like Gen Z to millennials. Like I think it will hit so home for people. And I think it's so important. I think kind of what you were talking about before with really it being such a relatable experience is such an important thing that I've kind of realized through creating and doing this podcast. It's like normalizing things like toxic relationship, mental health battles, stuff like that, because the more open you are, whether it's in the vulnerability of your writing or me talking about my experience with anxiety or depression or my mom being bipolar, like all of that can really help, you know, it's a, it's small steps, but it can help shift people's mindsets and really be healing for people and kind of change the way people view these issues, which I think is something that's definitely happening in the past, you know, five, 10 years, but still like, there's still a lot of work to go. There's still stigmas surrounding these things, which is why it makes sense that like, until you opened up in your book and wrote this book about it, that people weren't just coming up to you being like, Hey, by the way, I had a, you know, a toxic boyfriend, you know, people aren't just gonna like come out about it. So these kinds of normalizings of those experiences are very, very important. Absolutely. I mean, I used to like feel so embarrassed about the fact that I had like been in this situation that was like, you know, this weird, like fucked up, not real relationship, but like I Mm -hmm. thought it was real. I felt like it was real. I was embarrassed that I'd put myself in a situation like that and let myself be treated like that, honestly. Um, And there was a lot of shame around it, I think. But you're right. Like, writing about it openly was very healing and like Mm -hmm. hearing from other readers that like so many other readers that have experienced um, a similar situation. I I agree. I think it like erases a lot of the stigma around, around that. And, you know, with your podcast too, like talking about all these topics is like super important. It is. And it's so interesting, like hearing you kind of even talking about it now, like, Obviously, you've done so much work and you've written the book. So I'm sure, I mean, you're married, you're fine, you're over it. But there mm-hmm. is something that like, I feel like even with my past like toxic relationship, no matter how over it or him I am, like when you talk about it, there's always that little thing of guilt. And I talked about this a little bit with Kate Nichols, who's an amazing guest who came on. We talked about emotional toxicity and, you know, dating people who are gaslighters and stuff like that. There is this sense of like, not I've been raised better than this, so to speak, but like the sense of like, I'm like a strong, smart woman. Why would I let myself go through this? Why am I accepting this? Which makes you start to blame yourself. And it's like this very slippery slope. I just want to read something. So I, so I read Tell Me Lies when it came out. It's amazing. I just moved from the West Coast back home. So to New York, uh, shout out Upper West Side. Um, So it's in storage with all my books somewhere. So I don't have it on me. So I just like looked up articles, kind of recapping it. And I was reading this Bustle article about it. And I thought it was so well written. I'm sure you've seen it. 
since it's about your book. I think I remember it. Yeah. Yeah, but it was it's a few years old. This was the first paragraph. I just want to read it quickly if that's okay cuz I think it really illustrates the tone of the novel and it's just so good. So it says There are those people who come into our lives, and they're referencing the main character, Stephen, of course, the ones that, despite their most obvious flaws and repeated mistakes, linger. They're charming and complimentary, suave and confident. They always know just what to say to make you feel special. That is, until they don't want to make you feel special anymore. Who shivers. When they turn cold, silent, unreliable, you can't stop yourself from becoming a ball of anxiety, doubt, and fear. They aren't right for you. They never were right for you, but that doesn't stop you from trying to make it work anyways or for hoping against all odds that they will change. Many people have been there in dysfunctional relationships with toxic partners, which is what makes Carola Lovering's new novel, Tell Me Lies, such a fascinating A twisted story about the guy who is all wrong and the girl who is sure he will become Mr. Right. Reading it is like seeing a slow-moving train wreck, one you've been involved in before, one where you can see exactly how and why things went off the tracks. Like, like, yes, that's it. There. Yeah. That's the book. That's pretty spot on. Right? It's so, it's so true. And that's what makes it such a special read. And I really do kind of want to get into, obviously, what you're comfortable with. We're not trying to, and I always say this when I talk about my exes and stuff on here, we're never trying to shame people or tear them down or get revenge. It's just about, you know, owning your life experiences and what kind of spurred, you know, this story for you um, and kind of inspired it. But yeah, I'd love if you could kind of get into that a bit, um, this relationship that wasn't a relationship, man who wasn't your man, because I think that experience in like a lot of what I've gone through, I've actually been dating them, but it it really doesn't matter because the emotional connection is just as strong and the resulting trauma from being treated less than you deserve is also just as potent. So yeah, yeah, if you could talk a little bit about that experience in college, um, that would be great. And also you never, I totally cut you off with the friend conversation. So you can maybe start there. Yeah. Yeah, no worries. I'll try to segue. Anyway, the reason I started writing Tell Me Lies in the first place is because of a conversation that I had with one of my best friends. Can you say her name? Amelia. Amelia. Okay. It's good stuff. It's good press. So yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm not used to like being all public about it, but it's not like it's private. No, she's, she's great. And she's, she read like a million drafts of Tell Me Lies and like, it's a huge part of why it exists. But, um, she, we were just like talking about my toxic relationship and toxic relationships in college in general. And she knew that I was trying to do more creative writing. And she was like, you know, why don't you start writing like some short stories about this based on your experience? Do you want to call him like Bob? (laughs) Sure. Bob. Bob Bob is good. Yeah. Because it's like. (laughs) Except my husband's name is Rob. Oh no. Wait, we have to change it. (laughs) It's too close. Bill. 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 Um, yeah, she's like, you know, based on Bill, like you can do a character kind of like loosely based on Bill and like start writing some some short stories, like write what you know, it would be therapeutic. Yeah, like write what you know. And so I did that. And I started writing what originally were like little short stories. Mm. And eventually I was able to like string them all together. 
And I did, you know, in the beginning, I didn't know that I was going to write a novel. Like I had no idea, but once I started writing and once I, like this idea kind of started snowballing and I was like, okay, I really think that I might have something. I think I could, I didn't know how to write a book. I had never planned to be an author, but I was like, I think what I'm writing could be a novel. Yeah. Um, And so I just was like, I became really, really inspired and just like motivated to turn it into a novel. So that's how that started. And then like to go back to your other question about the inspiration in this relationship in college. um, Yeah. I mean, it's, it's almost like, I don't want to say funny. That's not the right word. <laughs> I know it's, what you mean. I do the it's, same thing. It feels so like, it feels so far away now for me where I am. Like, cause I'm, you know, I'm 32 and this happened. So this started when I was like 19, you know, which is crazy that it, that was 13 years ago. Time flies, man. It's crazy. It really does. But like, I just, the person that I am now, I would never have like gotten into that situation back then. Totally. So it's like, I really have to like put myself back there into like the mental place where I was in like my early twenties to understand how this happened. Cause like I did like a lot of personal growth in my twenties and I just feel like the person that I became later on never would have like put up with this. You know, I would never, yeah. Yeah, I never would have like put up with this. I never would have been interested in this kind of situation. You know, I think I was very insecure when I was in college. I started having this eating disorder when I was a freshman. And thank you for being so open about that. That's something that I've actually talked about a little too on this. And um, it's something that's interesting because I was always kind of open to it if it came up, whereas like my mom's bipolar stuff, I was pretty secretive about my whole life. But talking about it and again, like on public forums like this, I think it's so helpful because I always say like on the podcast and otherwise, like, I feel like I'm more surprised at this point if I meet a girl who's never had eating issues than a girl who has had eating issues, which just shows a huge issue with like our generation and how women treat food and whatever. But yeah, sorry, continue. Yeah, I feel the same way. I was actually talking to one of the producers at Bellatrist about that like the other day and just how you're talking about how like we want that to be a part of the show because it is... Yeah, I agree. Like, I feel like having some kind of eating issue, even if it's like really small is like most women have experienced. Most women. It's It's like like part of being a woman. Yeah. It's like, you know, well, that's something it was interesting not to put my um, intern on the spot again, but I kind of like, I've become almost so open that I like forget. It's like crazy to ask people if they've had eating issues, like just off the bat, like met you, hired you yesterday. Have you ever had an eating disorder? And her response was basically no, but you know, I have people close to me who have, but also like, you know, I've always been hard on myself about my body. I guess that's just part of being a woman. And that's something she said. And that really struck me because it's like, it's true, but it's so fucked up. It's so fucked like, up. Like, why is that part of being a woman to, like, look at your body and hate it? And, like, I know there's been stuff like the Dove campaign and whatever, but there's so much work to go, especially with these editing apps like Facetune and shit. It's only going to get worse, yeah. honestly, in my opinion. Totally. So. But that is very, yeah, that's, like, super illuminating and glaring that like that is it's just true like yeah. it's it shouldn't be part of being a woman but like somehow it kind of is and it's generational too like I feel like 
Yeah. Anyways, we could have a whole podcast. I agree. But right. We could have a whole podcast about eating issues. So the character slash you develops this eating disorder. Do you think that like, what do you think the root of that was? If you don't mind me asking, you know, I don't, I don't fully know. I think it was a control thing feeling like just really lost in my life and feeling like just unsure of what was happening. I I think that, you know, that's a common way to feel in your twenties at some point, you're kind of like thrown out to the world. And I felt like hence the podcast, (laughs) podcast. Yeah. And I just was kind of like, I think it was a control thing. I didn't have control of a lot, but like I could control that. And the eating disorder wasn't like related to the toxic relationship. I just think that like, I was in a really vulnerable place in my life and I met this person who was different and like made me feel really alive in like a way that no other guy ever had. And I just became super like infatuated with his energy. And I felt like what we had was real, even though it wasn't. And he was very smart and which I think a lot of times guys who are really charming are like very smart because they know what to and manipulative because they know exactly what to say it's kind of fucked up it's like can't you just be charming and like it is what it is (laughs) like without there being like this crazy like manipulative like narcissistic underlying like yeah we just had this like on and off thing throughout college that you know like he he always had like other girlfriends but like was always convincing me that they were like about to break up and like I always believed him which is like you know was my fault that I was I was that but you were also a victim of it and I want to emphasize that like I get it and I think it's really important and this is kind of what you're speaking to like And I think therapy helps with this a lot, realizing your place and accepting certain kinds of treatments and not like putting boundaries up or putting your foot down or whatever. But at the same time, you were young, you were learning and you were a victim of his manipulative, toxic behavior. So like, I just want to put that out there because like, I think girls can be just the way we're raised, like can be so hard on ourselves about that shit. And I think part of it is learning not to accept it in the future, but also forgiving that part of you that like did put up with it because it's so human. And that's why it's such a universal experience. You know, I think a lot of it does have to do with the ways guys versus girls are raised because guys are raised as if if they take like, I don't know, I was going to say something crazy. This is crazy. But if they take like a big shit, people are like, Congrats. <laughs> oh my God, what an amazing fucking shit yeah. you took. And then... If girls are, like, getting straight A's, it's, like, good, you're doing what you're supposed to. Like, it's, like, there's just such different levels of, like, praise and ways of internalizing things where I think guys kind of internalize from a young age, I'm great and I can do anything, and girls internalize this self kind of hatred and judgment and anxiety from a young age. So, like, yeah, it has to do a lot with that. But, um... Circling back to the eating stuff as well, like, I think the control thing makes so much sense. I know for me, I actually developed my eating disorder when I was, like, super young. Um, I was, like, 13. I just got my period. I lost it. And it was because... That is really young. Yeah, really young. Well, it was interesting because basically I developed it really young 
got over it as much as one can. Like, I think getting over it is like very individual process. I don't think there's any cut and dry getting over something. Like I don't have controlling eating tendencies now and I don't, you know, restrict myself or make myself throw up or anything like that. But if I eat French fries, do I feel guilty? Yes. Yes. Will I still eat them? Yes. If I feel like I've gained weight, do I feel guilty? Yes. If I, for example, the other week I didn't work out for three days in a row, I was like, I'm so lazy. It's like, no, you're not. Your body needs a rest. So, you know, so it's like, there are certain things I definitely still like carry with me, but on the whole of like, do I have an eating disorder? No, thank God. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point and a good distinction to make because I think that like, yes, you can, I mean, I'm the same way. Like I don't Mm -hmm. have any of those unhealthy, like restricting habits or anything anymore, but like there are things that stay with you forever. Like the guilt of having like a really bad eating day. And then you're like, I need to eat a salad at the next meal. Yeah. You're like like, the next three meals. And it's like, no, you don't. And that just becomes like normalized kind of, Yeah, you know, like for women. I know it's so fucked up. Yeah. But yeah, I cut you off. So what were you saying? Oh my God. No worries. Uh, I'm the queen of cutting off, which is not a great (laughs) podcast. I have to work on that. I'm working on listening. I really am. Anyways. Yeah. So I developed this when I was like, 13, I want to say maybe 14, I was going into seventh grade. So basically, I know this because my parents threatened not to send me to Nightingale, my high school slash middle school, if I didn't like get my shit together, which is basically how I got my shit together. Um, But yeah, it was like almost a year of me basically going back and forth slash combining anorexia with bulimia. There was definitely a measure of like, I was going through puberty and you know, dealing with that and um, dealing with the changes my body was going through and starting to care about male attention. So there was a visual aspect to it, yes. But the main stem for me or the main trigger was like this control thing, because basically I found out for sure for the first time, like, I think I knew my mom had like slight mental health problems. Like I knew she would go on vacations. Um, I hope she doesn't mind me talking about this. But I (laughs) found out for sure at that time that she was bipolar and it scared the shit out of me. And as a very type A control loving person, I felt like totally out of control. So to deal with that overwhelming sense of anxiety and lack of control, I would control my eating and control making myself throw up. So I think for it to come from that feeling of anxiety and feeling overwhelmed is so, so common for so many women. So I totally understand that experience. And while I did like get over it once I went to school, it definitely came back at points in times a little bit here and there. But all in all now, since like, I would say like my freshman, sophomore year of college, it's been good. So knock on wood. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, because it really yeah. does, it takes over your life, It, which is something I think yeah. you kind of address in the book. It's like, it, it's like an addiction. You think about yeah. every day, you know? Totally. I remember, like, I wouldn't, it's so crazy to think about now, but I just, I remember I, like, wouldn't want to do stuff because, like, I didn't want to, like, have to drink a lot or, like, eat a lot. Be like, oh, I don't want to, like, go out tonight because I don't want to, like, I don't want to drink beer and, like, have to, like, have those oh, calories. Boy. Like, that's how my mind worked. Which is like so 
fucked up. You no, know? it's literally the brain of an addict. And it's like, you're fucking tired because your body has no energy. Because yeah. calories are energy. So then you're like too tired to have fun at places. And you're like kind of cranky. Yeah. You're scared to go out to eat because you don't want people to judge you and get on your case about not eating enough. It's this whole fucked up couch 22. Oh, yeah. and it's like, it's, oh my God. Yeah, it really, it really is. It does take yeah. over your life in a really really unhealthy way where you just yeah like you almost can't be happy you can't be happy I, I mean you can't no it's, it's impossible because also there's actually some really interesting studies that I've both um read about and listened to on other podcasts about how they've actually done I don't know the exact study so don't at me people but <laughs> but basically sometimes they found that the skinnier you are the more unhappy you are, if that makes sense. So the skinnier you are, you'll think you're happy because you're getting these compliments from people and your fucked up mind is like, ooh, you think I look scary? Like, great. But really, like, you realize the skinnier you get that there's still no end goal in sight and it just becomes increasingly unsatisfying and you just want more and more and it makes you more and more unhappy. Again, catch 22, shitty catch 22, but yeah. Yeah, that's something else I want to kind of acknowledge with eating stuff is you do have parts in the book, like the friends are such strong characters and they're concerned for you for both this relationship as well as your eating stuff comes up because they're your best friends. And that's something that's so real. It's like, it's really hard to approach someone as someone who's formerly struggled with eating stuff and has approached friends about it. It's really hard to do that because you're towing such a fine line between helping them, not further traumatizing them, and not giving them a compliment by telling them they're too skinny. Because whether or not, like, obviously, if you're saying to someone you're too skinny, you mean that as like, I'm scared for you, but they're going to hear it as in their fucked up addict mind. Like, I look hot. Like, <laughs> I'm doing is... well. I'm doing like what I wanted to do. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So Lucy and I, you know, both had these struggles. And I just want to emphasize that like, you know, I'm not Lucy. Like, she's very much my character. She's very much a fictional character. Mm. And like, yes, there are experiences that she had that like, were very heavily influenced by experiences that I have had in the past. But like, I just want to make that distinction that she, you know, ultimately is my character and she has her own struggles and motivations that are, that are her own as a fictional mm-hmm. character. Definitely. And I'm not saying that necessarily you went through all of this and obviously the way you wrote it out, the way it played out is all going to be different. But as you said in the beginning, I think it really is about the emotional truth being there, which is why I think discussing like these experiences is so important because there's such an intense emotional truth. So yeah. I just wanted, before we get into quarter life qualms and stuff like that, all that fun stuff about your 20s versus your 30s, I just as one last thing wanted to Talk a little bit about female friendship, because I do think it's like this beautiful theme in the book. And that's kind of where I was going with that whole thing, because I'm just sure, like, regardless of you being Lucy, which obviously you're not, I'm sure that as someone who has had these experiences, you've had moments where your own friends in real life have worried about you, you know, which is something that is kind of dealt with in the book. So I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about the female friendships either in the book or that inspired the friendships in the book or whatever, you know, you want to do with that. Yeah, of course. Female friendships, you know, like my friendships are so important to me 
and they, you know, they still are obviously, but especially like through college in my twenties, they were just my lifeline a lot of the time. Um, and they're, I just think that female friendships especially are so powerful. And so they are like a big theme in both of my books, actually, in Too Good to Be True as well. But in Tell Me Lies, I just think, you know, Lucy's friends are, they know each other so well, but like they can call her out on her bullshit. And totally. And she knows she's being called out, but she can't admit it because she's kind of like this love slash eating disorder addict. And that is very addict-y behavior. Not saying you were an addict or Lucy was an addict, but it is that mentality of like, I have to protect this thing that I know isn't good for me, but right. I want regardless, which I think is very relatable as well. And with Steven know? too, you know, they're, they're like, what are you doing? And I, yeah. I remember in my own life, my toxic relationship experience, like my best friends in college, they were just like, what are you doing? Like, why are you doing this to yourself? Yeah. And you're like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I don't know. Um, yeah. So like, I just had, there was no way that I couldn't have tell me lies, not feature really strong female friendships. Um, yeah, because it's just that. like so important to, I think the story and just like women in general, I think are given so much strength by their friends. Like they're real friends, you know, the ones who are always there for them. A hundred percent. I totally agree. And I liked that being in the book. One last thing I want to say quickly about just the style of the book, which is so interesting for people who haven't read it again, is that you do write from Stephen's perspective, which I, how was that? Was that like, so, I don't know. I feel like it must've been so therapeutic in some way to like get into like a toxic partner's head and how they would think about, but you wrote from that perspective so well, it was so well done, you know? Thank you. I mean, honestly, like, well, First of all, his perspective, Stephen's perspective was not always in the book. I think in like the first two drafts, one or two drafts, it was just from Lucy's point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, someone, I honestly can't remember who because there were several early drafts mm-hmm. of Tell Me Lies, but somebody suggested that I try writing Stephen's chapters from his perspective. And that was like a game changer for the book. Um, and for my experience writing it, I mean, I honestly had more fun writing Steven's chapters than Lucy's totally. because like, cause it's I not could, you. It's like playing a character. Right. And like, I could be so much more creative. Cause like I knew, like I was familiar with the girl's side of it, like Lucy's side of it. Like that was yeah. very familiar to me. So it didn't feel as creative. Whereas like writing it through Steven's eyes was super creative and it was also therapeutic and that I could think about like the guy's perspective, like how would, this guy, like, or any guy in Steven's shoes, how would they justify what they're doing? Doing what they did. Yeah. And like, what would play in their head? You know, how could they go about their day kind of like, not feeling like what I'm doing is awful? Like, how how would they go about justifying it and being who they were on a day to day basis? And so I just sort of wrote what I thought a guy like Steven, you know, a guy like the one that I had had this experience with, Mm would have thought like what what would his thought process have been and there were definitely times when I embellished and like you know made it worse than it probably was but it was really fun that's your right as a creative exactly I mean and that's what you can do with fiction which is the beauty of fiction but it was really interesting it was really interesting and I did 
Um, I did a lot of research about sociopaths. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> because I have to send you, there's this um, Instagram that my friend sent me. It's all about toxic relationships and narcissists. And she writes a lot of things on it. And it's, it's very interesting. But anyways. Oh, really? Them. Yeah, it's really interesting. I'll yeah, I would love it. to see that. I, um, you know, and I'm not saying that like, the person who I had my experience with was a sociopath. Like, I have no idea whether or not he was. Like, <laughs> you're we like, were so be, young. We don't know. But, yeah. like, I wanted Steven's character to be a like a sociopath on one very far end of the spectrum. So, like, you know, you have your spectrum of sociopaths, you have like serial killers, mm-hmm. and then you have men who just like plow through life without really thinking about like, consequences of their actions like they don't which I think a lot of men are like that I think a lot of them are emotionally closed off and kind of just don't deal with themselves or what they're putting people through and just kind of plow on through life and like I think the way you wrote it yes you made him you know there were parts that were embellished or felt like you know wow he's a piece of shit for sure but you know his character was a piece of shit but then also there are parts where you do humanize him. He does feel bad for a second, but kind of like wipes it away. So I think you did a really good job getting into the shoes of that character and like the research behind it shows it, it, it didn't feel like it was just this like Disney villain who doesn't really exist. Like it felt like a well-rounded character that could go to like this, you know, college that you hypothetically went to, you know, like it felt real it didn't feel like a serial killer it felt like exactly what you were saying which was yeah. just this kind of narcissistic guy who's kind of an asshole and a little more concerned with himself than others and that's real I've oh, I've yeah. met a lot of them for totally. sure totally <laughs> yeah like I yeah and I think that like those guys are out there and like you know men are more likely to be sociopaths than women mm-hmm. um, statistically statistically yep and I think you know I think that maybe four percent of people are are like uh, somewhere on that sociopathic spectrum which is which is scary but a lot of people that That are like successful in business or like uh politics are Harvey Weinstein right like uh unfortunately (laughs) yes sorry all of these men are there's so many when you look at it it's crazy yeah like or at least tendencies like I won't say full-on sociopaths but sociopathic tendencies yeah lacking empathy is a big one just like not because that's how I felt about the experience I was in even though like you know Mm -hmm. I was weak and vulnerable I felt like this person just didn't have any like beautiful (laughs) (laughs) well be nice to you you know to little you try not to be too hard on myself but like I own your shit I have to own the fact that like I put myself in a situation for too long you know like I wish that I had figured it out sooner I feel like I wasted a lot of time but like but that's life you feel like that but now you have a book that is not directly based on but you know inspired by some of those experiences so like you know everything happens for a reason in retrospect and when you're when you're in your 20s like you feel so old but you're not and I would be like oh I wasted so much time like yeah you know, I'm 25 I mean I'm not 25 mm. but like when I was 25 I was like I feel old and I wasn't but totally 
I feel you. I mean, all reasons I started the podcast that we're going to get into very shortly. Um, I just want to say one last thing. I've said this like three times now, but one last thing, and then we can get into core life qualms. I wrote this down when I was rereading, you know, the Bustle article and about just the book to refresh my memory. I wrote down on the notes for, you know, your episode, I wrote, is it my gut or is it my trauma? And I think that's something that gets a lot of girls into these relationships that's really hard because I think something about your 20s and your late teens and these like early formative relationships is that like you really want to trust your gut. And when your gut's saying like, I like this person, like I keep being drawn to them. There's like this kind of romanticism of it. Oh, there must be a reason I keep going back to them. They must somehow be the one. But I think it's this really tough distinction that I clearly, as prior to this episode, am still (laughs) struggling with, as we were kind of talking about. But it's this really tough distinction where it's like, is it my gut saying they're a good person? Or is it kind of my trauma, whether that's childhood trauma or just like past relationships or experiences of this person who's not necessarily the best for you, feeling really comfortable in a fucked up way, if that makes sense? So... I think that's something we as women need to start asking ourselves. Is it my gut or is it my trauma? And take a good look at that. And I'm going to try to start. I think that's great. No, you're so right. Like, I mean, I, I, I definitely can relate to that where I was, I would justify what I was doing because I was like, my gut is telling me that this is right. My gut is telling me that this is real. Like my gut is telling me that this person cares about me and that they're going to change. And like, but you're so right. Is it my gut or is it my trauma? I love it. Guys, that's our new catchphrase. If I ever start making merch, I'm putting it on it. Hey guys. So today I'm so excited to tell you guys about my new sponsors. Some of my first sponsors, not my first first, but you know, we're in the first round here because I now have people helping me. Yay. So today I am here to tell you guys about Foreplay. Foreplay is an amazing, amazing app. It was co-created by two iconic women who I've spoken to personally who really believe in what they did. Basically, they were best friends, which is so cute. I love that. And they were working together in the medical field and just basically decided like not only from a medical standpoint, but just from a safety and like fun standpoint, like dating the way we do it. There are all these apps, you know, that either encourage dating one on one or maybe even threesomes. I don't know. I haven't seen those, but I'm sure they exist. But they were like, we're going to do a cheeky app. You know, the name is very tongue in cheek for play F-O-U-R-P-L-A-Y. It's a free app. And basically the premise of it is that you and your friends become a tag team. I totally want to try this with Audrey Peters, by the way, because I know she'll be down. But you and your friend tag team and make a profile and then you match with other tag teams. So this is so important because it was created and founded by women. You know, women aren't the only targeted groups. Obviously, men can be targeted, transgender people people can be targeted. There's so many at risk groups, but women are certainly part of that. So as a woman, I know personally, like I love this idea. It means you go on double dates. Double dates are also just like less awkward. There are no weird silences. There are less expectations. It just takes a lot of the pressure off, which is why people in general, a lot of the times prefer being set up or going on double dates as opposed to just like straight up app dates, because like it's safer, it's fun, it's less awkward, less expectations. The list goes on. But I think this app is 
such a great idea. If you want to look them up, they have a website, foreplaysocial.com, and obviously you can download it on the App Store. If you go to their website on the bottom of the page, They have like literally Elite Daily, Insider. There's so many articles written about how amazing this app is. And I cannot stress enough how much you should try it out, especially if you're listening with a friend. Go sign up. Why the fuck not? Download the app. F-O-U-R-P-L-A-Y. And now back to your regularly scheduled programming. Now that we've talked about is it my gut or is it my trauma, let's move into quarter life qualms. So if anyone's a new listener, um, Poor Life Qualms is essentially where we get into, you know, the the theme of the podcast of being in your 20s and navigating transitions. So let's just get into it. The first question is, how's your current path similar to or different from the one that you had laid out for yourself, either in college or as a recent postgraduate? Very deep question. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I just got right well, into it. <laughs> you know, I think that I was not someone who had a lot of direction when I graduated from college. Like I didn't have a set plan. And, you know, I think that like probably bothered my parents a little bit, especially my dad. He's like, I just paid for your college. Like you don't. Yeah. Like he's literally like, what are you doing with your life? I mean, truthfully, I didn't know what I wanted to do professionally. So I feel like that part for me was always sort of like a question mark. Like I knew that I wanted to have a career that I really cared about and a career that I could have my whole life. Like I always, Mm -hmm. I don't want to like retire early. Like I Mm -hmm. always, I always want to like have a career that fulfills me in some way. And that I'm like doing, even if it's part-time, like on the side, like I want, I always wanted like a career that I loved, you know, I never wanted to like stop working or anything like that so I I wanted that for myself when I did always envision getting married and starting a family so I feel like that that part of my journey now is kind of where I am I've caught up to that but my 20s was as I told you very jagged I was an English major and I thought originally that I wanted to go into book publishing and then you know I applied to like a million publishing jobs in New York and didn't get any of them and the first job that I ended up being offered was in PR so I worked in PR for a couple of years and I just didn't love it I knew that it like wasn't I mean it was fine but it wasn't like my calling I feel like that's what your first job or two or three, like in your 20s is for though, figuring out what you like and don't like. And that's why I like asking people these questions, because I think that story of kind of like, I mean, there are people like me, honestly, I mean, I thought for sure I want to act like move to LA right after I graduated. But like, that's not very typical. And even with that, like, yes, I still want to act. And yes, I still want to be cast and tell me lies. But I also am doing this. I never would have envisioned this for myself. So I think that's like so important is figuring that stuff out with those not so perfect jobs. And I love that you said that you wanted a career that you were passionate about, because I think so many people get nervous about money or other people's expectations for them, not to judge them. I mean, do whatever makes you happy, but they do kind of compromise or settle in a sense. And they are just ready to like, you know, retire or like get home and drink or whatever. And there is something having started this that's so fulfilling about really doing something that you're passionate about. And yes, it's work, but it's also pleasurable. You know, I think that 
worrying or becoming too preoccupied with the money piece when you're too young and kind of like starting on a track because you know you're motivated financially I don't know I don't I don't want to say that that's wrong maybe that's the right decision for some people I just think that it's sometimes where you get into trouble yeah it can be a slippery slope I think is what it is and some people thrive off that and some people like that's their dream and you know but like if you're doing it and you're not loving it and you feel like the only reason you're doing it is for the financial piece, I think that's where you, you know, take a step back, re-examine it. Maybe. Right. Because you might later on, you might find that you're really not satisfied with what you've done. Like there was just such a long stretch in my 20s when I made like no money and I, you know, my salary was like ridiculously low when I started out and like I was just constantly like living paycheck to paycheck and like didn't know what I was doing it was hard but like I I kind of like had I actually got fired from my second job I was so upset I didn't get like fired for doing anything wrong but they cut my department I was just so devastated I was crushed even though I didn't really love my job but you put time into it yeah I like put time into it and I was I think I was 25 so that was like my quarter life crisis I was and about I, to ask so I'm glad you yeah, said yeah I yeah. moved you're 25 26 Oh, you just turned 26. No, when I had my birthday. Oh, I'm about to turn 27 now. Okay, got it. So we're we're out. Got it. So you're out. So (laughs) I moved, at that point I moved from New York to Aspen. And I lived in Aspen for a couple of years. And again, my dad was like, what are you doing in Aspen? Like, why are you not What's your life? And you're like, dad, I'll figure it out. That's such a generational thing. And my dad is like the most supportive guy ever. I mean, I was like, dad, I'm writing a book. This is when I started writing Tommy Lies. I was like, I'm writing Mm. a book. He was like, oh my God, you're writing a book. And like, he was very supportive, but he was also like, okay, are you actually going to like, you know, is this actually going to happen? And I was like, I promise, I promise it is. Like, I really believe in it. Aspen's a great place to write a book too. It's like a little... You know, it's not New York City. It's more nature. That makes a lot of sense that you do. Yeah. I had started working on it in New York, moved out to Aspen because I had a bunch of friends who were living there. And I was kind of like working a bunch of different little jobs in Aspen, writing Tell Me Lies, teaching yoga. Then when I was 28, I found my agent and I got my book deal. Is it your same agent as My same agent. She's amazing. Yes. So lucky to have her, Allison. And she sold my book to Sarah, who's now my editor and like has been my editor for both books, who's also an incredible human. And when that happened, I moved back to New York. I moved back to the East Coast. And I was like, you know, I think that writing has been something that I've been working on for a long time. But like now that I finally had my book deal, I felt like I was able to do it full time, which I recognize is like a huge privilege. But also, I think there's something to say about if you're really like, and this kind of connects to what we were saying about money before, but I think if you're really passionate about something and you do have the privilege to, you know, saved up enough or whatever, I think the money will come. You know what I mean? Like when you believe in it and people around you believe in it, the money will come. At least that's what I'm telling myself for this podcast. Let's go into it. 100%. Like, I had never felt so passionate about anything in my life as I did writing Tell Me Lies. I was so passionate about it. I was so inspired. I just was like, I have to do this. It felt like a calling. And I was like, totally. I felt the same. And that's when you trust your yes. gut. That's when, that's you, when trust you trust it. your gut. And I was like, yeah. you know what? Like, I, re- I believe in this so much that I do believe that the money will come. But I'm not, this isn't about money. Like, it was never about money, but obviously. But, like, I did believe that it would be successful. Anyway, like, I, I moved back to New York, and that was actually right around the time when I started dating my now husband. 
So I felt like I had this like, can I say something really quickly? I have this new theory and I've honestly gotten kind of into spirituality recently, but I do feel like in a way, like sometimes you need to have that core life crisis or like that moment of like, what the fuck to kind of put things into perspective and like deal with your shit. And then all the good stuff starts coming in. At least that's been my experience of it. Ever since I like worked out my shit and got like everything together and like, obviously life's full of ups and downs. So it's not as straightforward as that per se, but like the fact that you kind of went through this and then you found your book and then you found your husband, like everything kind of falls into place once you like deal with your stuff. And even though these lows can be so low, like the highs that can result from them are so worth it. Oh, totally. Yeah, I I totally believe that. And I think a lot of my twenties was like, I mean, it was such a journey, but figuring out how to love myself. Like I felt like I had that super insecure period in college and then like for the first few years after college, I really got to this point where I was like, I don't love myself. And like, I need to work on my self love. Cause I, that is something I truly believe is like, you have to love yourself before you can love anybody else. I totally agree. And it's really, I think to go back to what we were saying before, I think it can be really tough and difficult for girls because I do think we, we seem to internalize the sense of if I love myself, I'm cocky or I'm too much or I'm too big and taking up too much space. But it's really, in the end, it's only going to benefit you and make you more comfortable not only owning your own shit, but also, like, allowing others into your life and being able to properly love them, you know? So, yeah, I think that's that's so real. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I just want to move on to the last question. So how have your 30s so far compared to your 20s, would you say? Oh, my gosh. My 20s, I love my 30s. Like People always say that. That's what all the 30-somethings yeah. who've come on have said. They are just like, fuck my 20s compared to my 30s. Like, 30s are where it's at, which is great. Something to look forward yeah, to. Like, yeah, like, I mean, honestly, I feel extremely relaxed in my 30s. I feel really, like, comfortable in my own skin in a way that I didn't in my 20s, at least my earlier 20s. I feel just really, like, confident and my 20s, like, they were so much fun. I mean, like, highest highs, lowest lows. Oh, my God. Every guest, not every guest, so many guests have said that. It's so funny. It's so true. The highest highs and the lowest lows. Yeah. I I mean, I think it's very true about 20s because, like, I had so many amazingly fun experiences that I'm like, oh, I wish I could go back and, like, have a night like that with all my best friends now, you know? Totally. But you also, like, couldn't pay me to do my 20s again. like. You know, I don't <laughs> want to do that again. I love it. Yeah, you're like, I'm good. I'll I'll chill here with my not toxic husband, I'm assuming, <laughs> and my child. Like, right. I don't need to go back, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's that funny because sense. my book, so my first book was like a little bit autobiographical in, in its emotional inspirations. And my second book is like very much fiction, like not a lot of personal very influences. Cool. But the the guy in it is like very much a manipulator. And so people are always like, oh my God, is she like writing about her husband? And I'm like, no. (laughs) No, you're like, it's literally fiction. Don't worry, guys. It's fine. You're just writing interesting characters. Maybe you'd... Maybe 
people should consider it might not be as exciting to write about the stable husband who no. is good to you. Exactly. <laughs> you know, know, like it's not, it's not as juicy. No. So. Yeah. Basically I just feel I don't have any regrets because it all led me to where I am now, which is where I want to be, but it was a roller coaster ride. That's such a message on this podcast is that they are a roller coaster ride, but like if you set yourself up for your thirties, then it sounds like from everyone who's come on their thirties so far, like then you can really reap the benefits, which is awesome. Yeah. Totally. And then my last question for Poor Life Qualms, which I ask every guest and interpret it as you will, is what is something that you do in order to manage your stress or anxiety when it comes up during transitions or just in everyday life? For me, it's always been yoga. Yoga is like a really important part of my life. And I started teaching in 2010. I taught yoga up until last year. It's like like basically a year ago. Wow. Did you teach in the city at all? I used to teach at Core Power. Oh, nice. That's a great, great studio. Um, In Williamsburg when I lived in Brooklyn. Okay, now just for time, I could talk to you forever. That's what I I told her in the beginning, the interview. Like these, I could go for three hours, but I'm like, is anyone going to listen? Like I would. I know. I feel like I could talk forever about this stuff. It's Yeah, yeah, me too. It's fun. Hence me loving the book so much. I'm so excited for the new one. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in this, which is our final segment, which is a game called 7T Questions. My friend Russell and I made it up. It's a joke based off of Vogue's 73 questions where it's like rapid fire interview. But it's 7T because it's T-E-A. So it's like, what's the T? Because we're millennials and we think that's fine. Anyways, yeah, yeah, you got it, you got it. So it's seven questions. It's basically just seven rapid fire questions. Okay. Okay, so question number one, what is the current tea in your life? Wait, what do you mean tea? <laughs> this is the having a 30s of the year and you're like, what Wait, the fuck is tea? do I tea? not know this? Am I not a millennial? I, I think you don't. I think you are, but I don't think you know what tea is and that's like okay. Like T-E-A? Mm-hmm. So it's like, what's the tea? Like, what's the drama? Like, what's happening? Like, what's going on, girl? Like, I did not know that. I feel so old. Okay, so what's the what's the drama in my life? It doesn't have to be bad drama. It's just like, what's the happening? Like, what's going on? I mean, this maybe this is like an old mom answer, but I feel like what's going on now is we're just like trying to sleep train my son a little bit. And we're trying to sleep and I'm very focused on trying to get James, my son, on more of a schedule so that my husband and I can sleep. The tea is that Carola has gotten no sleep and she's still doing this interview, which makes her a fucking champion. Which is That's maybe the why tea. like my brain isn't working as well as it normally would you be. You honestly seem totally fine. Oh, so I'm glad. I don't worry about girl. Okay, second question. How did you and your husband meet and what was it like planning a wedding? Just because, like, this is so far off for me. I'm like, I can't even get a guy to go on a second date. That's not totally true, but it's not not totally true. I mean, I don't know how that can be true. You're beautiful and amazing. But (laughs) thank um, you. we met twice. We met for the Mm -hmm. first time in 2008 when I was living on Martha's Vineyard. For the summer, I'd rented a house with a bunch of my best friends growing up. And Rob, he's a big sailor, a big boat guy. And so he and a friend had been tasked by like, I think his friend's boss to take this guy's boat from Connecticut to Martha's Vineyard. And the guy was going to like pay them to do this. And they were supposed to fly home that night. The guy had like bought them plane tickets, but there was this huge thunderstorm and their flight was canceled. Did they have to stay with you guys? Yes. 
they stayed with us because they both went to Hobart and one of my friends who I was in the house with went to Hobart. So she knew them a little bit and she was like, yeah, you guys can crash with us. So we all went out that night. Like, got really drunk. Like, don't remember much. But we had like a like a makeout on the street. I thought you were going to say dance floor makeout, but I wish it was a dance floor makeout. That would have been better. I know. That would have been so fun. Miss those. Steaming. Just kidding. Me too. (laughs) 2020 is not the year of dance floor makeouts, unfortunately. it's not. At all. If it is, like, check yourself. Yeah. (laughs) Like, if you're making out on a dance floor in 2020, like, you're the problem. You're doing a lot of things wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, I love that story. And so, like, then we became friends on Facebook book but we didn't talk for eight years after that what so what year was that, that was 2008 and then were you in college yeah it was a, it was the summer after my freshman year of college no way so he like came into your life while toxic boy yeah. was still there fuck yeah, but that's obviously, crazy wow. like that's a- you know I didn't think anything of it I mean I thought he was cute but I was like I'm never gonna see this guy again and then when I like I was saying before, I had just moved back from Colorado and connected with him on Bumble and I was like oh my god mm. I know that guy like I've made out with him we, we made, made out, out like a million years ago and I actually didn't swipe right I swiped left because I was too nervous I was just like nervous I was like I don't know that might be weird if I swipe right but, like that's a lot and of pressure something the algorithm of Bumble made him appear again, like later. So he like, like, this is your fucking soulmate. Yeah. Swipe right, you ho. Literally, like literally that's what happened. And so he appeared again and I was like, oh my God, I have to swipe right. Like if this is the universe telling me to swipe right. So I did yeah. and we went on a date and the rest is history. The rest is history. <laughs> that's a great story. I love that story. And then just quickly, I guess it's a two part question, but any stresses of planning the wedding or was it like mostly oh. smooth road? What would you say? Oh, I found, I found wedding planning really stressful. Yeah. Cause you're like a perfectionist. No, not, not even. I just like, I found like there were just so many things to think about that I was like, I don't care. Yeah. Like, I don't want to think about this. And I just felt like it was a, honestly, I felt like it was a whole nother job on top of my other job. And there were parts of it that I liked, but honestly, I know girls that absolutely loved planning their wedding. And like, I was not Mm -hmm. one of them, but it looked beautiful. Thank you. Your glass over with. You're definitely glad it was in 2020, I'm yes, assuming. Yes, I know. We got really lucky. We kind of got fall 2019, but it's just... Close, but not... Close. It's so heartbreaking, all these weddings being canceled. Wow, I really love the story of how it's been <laughs> your husband met. I'm going to think about that later and like try to think of who my person is, who I'm going to reach yeah, out with. Somebody that you made out with that you like forgot about. Yes. If you're out there, text me. Okay. Uh, third question. Are you casting me in the Tell Me Lies Hulu adaptation or not? If it's up to me, 100%. Yes. I think you, That's the right answer. you, you would win. be a great $100. Jackie. You'd also be a great, maybe Georgia, Lucy's sister. I thought about that too. Oh my God. AKA Ellie. AKA Ellie. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But she's not, but like she is a sister and she is blonde. So I'll take it. Okay. Well, that leads me into the next question nicely. How stressful was naming your baby on a scale of one to 10? Zero. Like my, and I tell, I tell people this all the time for whatever reason, we didn't know if we were having a girl or a boy. We had both of our names picked out for, I think we had chosen our boy and girl names before I even got pregnant. Well, that's awesome. I mean, zero is a good number of like if it's in terms of stress, you want to be at zero, right? Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, there were tons of things that were stressful about being pregnant, but 
picking the name was not one of them. Love to hear that. Because I always think about that. I feel like I'd like be so indecisive about it. And then did you have just like out of curiosity as a follow up? Did you I'm really sticking to the seven here, aren't I? But did you have um, like kind of a gut feeling that was going to be a certain gender? Like, did you know it was going to be a boy kind of? No, I had no idea. I had a couple of dreams that it was a girl, but then I'd be like, no, I think it's a boy. And then at the very end of my Mm -hmm. pregnancy, like I, I had this family dinner one night. So with my whole family, plus my husband, and I ran around the table and like gave everybody a piece of paper and asked them to like play a guessing game, like guess what the gender is going to be, guess what the weight Uh is. And every single person thought it was going to be a boy. And so after that, I was like, okay, well, I think maybe it's a boy if every single person in my family and my husband thinks it's going to be a boy. Wow. Look at them. Intuitive as fuck. We stand that. Okay. And then for the last question to wrap this up, if you met a genie who could grant you one wish and one wish only, what would the wish be and why? Oh my God. Are you kidding? That's so hard. I know. (laughs) Honestly, I feel like I don't need anything. I feel like the world needs a lot. So I, my wish would be, can Joe Biden win this election? That is the perfect motherfucking wish. I would wish that too right now, honestly. And that's very <laughs> selfless of you. And the genie, I think, would appreciate that and give you an extra <laughs> wish. But I also won't make you come up with that extra wish because I know that's going to stress you out. Thank you so much. This has been amazing. I think this was such an important, productive relatable conversation and I knew that having you on would just be amazing so thank you so much for taking this time do you just want to help people quickly where they can find you plug your new book maybe just say a sentence or two about what it's about if you if you can do that in a sentence or two I don't know yeah yeah so I'm Carol Lovering and my first book we've talked about tell me lies my second book which will be out March 2nd 2021 is called too good to be true and and it's much more of a psychological suspense slash thriller than Tell Me Lies. It's, you know, in short about kind of like this twisted love triangle. Ooh, I cannot wait to read it. So yeah, that is exciting. Mm-hmm. And then you can find me Instagram. You know, on Instagram. Yeah. Instagram's the social media platform that I use the most. Mm-hmm. And it's just Carola T. Lovering. Yay. So find her on Instagram. I'll add a link for your book, which everyone should read before it gets optioned into or officially picked up as this Hulu series, which we're again manifesting into the future. And then as always, follow me. The podcast is at WTF Sup pod so two p's there and then my personal instagram is at cky1213 and thank you so much carola like this was ah this was fire i'm so excited for everyone thank you caitlin this was awesome and i know i feel like we could have talked for a lot longer but you know we can i know it's like annoying like okay honestly guys give me feedback if you're open to listening to an hour and a half to two hour interviews i will keep going so all my little fuckers out there let me know what the fuck you think about me having longer episodes because i could have three hour conversations honestly with everyone that comes on so but thank you so much everyone go follow her read her book tell me lies and get ready for her new book in 2021 thank you bye guys